Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 John 5, 7. 1 John chapter 5. This is our first message in our series on spiritual gifts that we're doing this fall. And as I was praying about this and getting ready, I was, I was trying to... You know, one of the things that as a, as a preacher or as a teacher of any kind, you know, if you're going to teach history and you have one semester to teach history, well, how much of history can you teach someone in one hour or two or three hours a week for a semester? Not much, not much. So you have to figure out a plan, an outline, a way that you are going to communicate, all right, and what you're going to say. Um, In preparing this message on or this series on spiritual gifts, You know what I thought of first is this, just this concept. It is idolatry to focus on the gifts of God without focusing on the God who gives the gifts. Amen. Amen. And I think that that that's our human nature. God is so gracious. He gives us things to demonstrate His goodness to us. But it's like your kids when they're little. When you give them a toy, they don't love you more for the toy. They love the toy, right? You know, you take your kids to grandma's house for Christmas. They'll run right past grandma at the, at the front door, right to the Christmas tree to see the presents. How many of you have ever experienced that, much to your chagrin? And then you beat the child, and they understand that, no, you don't beat the child. You chasten the child. But we understand that this is something, this is a a character trait, uh, this idea of thankfulness and worship, that it's something that has to happen on purpose. Would you all agree with that? So before, would you all agree with that? Amen. So before we get into these, these gifts that the Spirit gives, I thought it would be good to look at who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? But now I am confronted with another conundrum, another very impossible task. How do I explain who the Holy Spirit is in one service? You can't do it. It is impossible. And one of the books that I was reading said that he was going to bring the high points out. Well, we would be here for eternity bringing out the high points of what the Holy Spirit does. How do you discern which are the great things He does and which are the lesser things He does? Which are His great titles, which are His lesser titles? How could we ever determine that? I don't know that any person ever could. So we're just going to look at some information this morning about the Holy Spirit and try to get a better understanding of who He is and what He does. Now, how many of you would say this morning, Pastor Jim, it would really help me to know the Holy Spirit better? I think so too. And how many of you would also say that you recognize that there's great confusion in the world over who the Holy Spirit is and what He does? How many of you ever heard someone say, the Holy Spirit told me to do something, and you know the Holy Spirit would never tell someone to do that? So it was probably not the Holy Spirit that told them to do that. So what we need to do as we begin this is we need to review the four divisions of Christianity. Now, I know that if you look in the phone book, there are a lot more names of churches than four, but there are really only four groups of Christianity. That's it. There are only four. The first are traditional Christians. Those are, let's call that the Roman Catholic Church or the mainline Protestant churches that came out of the Catholic Church and have increased uh, ever more in their reliance on tradition. Um, And what they would tell you is this. This is not the Baptist preacher's description of them. This is what they would say, that their authority is the Word of God and tradition. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? They're, They're proud to tell you that, that their authority is the Word of God and tradition. And if there's ever a conflict between the Word of God and tradition, then their tradition always overrules the Word of God. Is that right? So if you confront someone and say, the Bible doesn't say that, they will say this, yes, but our tradition says... Our church teaches us, have you heard that before? And it's whether that's Roman Catholic or Anglican or or whatever, that is their authority and they are proud of that. It's not a, this is not a pejorative, this is who they are and it's it's the way that they would describe themselves. An example of that would be purgatory. There's not a verse in the Bible 
There's not a verse in our Bible. There's not a verse in the Douay-Rheims Catholic Bible. There's not a verse in the Revised Version that they use. There's not a verse in the Apocrypha that teaches purgatory. It's a fabrication. It's a tradition. And so the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And as is appointed in a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so what happens is when a person dies, their opportunity for redemption is gone. Right? The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the only time that you can get saved. You're either saved now or you go into an eternity without Christ. And the only verdict then is the lake of fire. That's it. How many of you would rather go to heaven? Amen. Today is the day of salvation. Today is it. So when purgatory is taught, it gives people another option. If I'm not good enough, if I've been baptized as a baby, if I'm not good enough, I can go to purgatory for a little while and pay for my sins and then go to heaven. The only problem is the only purgatory that's found in the Bible is where it says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus Christ purged our sins. When? When He once died on the cross. Amen? So purgatory is not found in the Bible. That's an example. That's an illustration of a tradition that overrules the Word of God. That's the first group, traditional Christianity. The second group is charismatic Christianity. Charismatic Christianity. These would be um, many of the Pentecostal churches, Church of God, and then the churches with just the names that you don't even know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? How many of you understand what I mean on that? So you see these are... How many of you have heard of Benny Hinn? Or Joyce Myers? Um, T.D. Jakes, John Hagee. How many of you have heard of these names, these people? Um, how many of you remember Ernest Ainsley? Ainsley. Ernest, how, many of you, how many of you have watched Ernest, Ernest Ainsley? You've seen him on television. Raise your hand. How many of you have seen him? This is, the, this is the group that we're talking about with charismatic Christianity. And again, it's not a pejorative. That's how they would identify themselves. It's from the Greek word charisma, which means gifts. And they believe that they are still, uh, that they have the apostolic gifts of healing and uh, wisdom and knowledge and that God is still speaking to them personally and individually. All right? That's what they believe. And so their authority is the Word of God and their experience. So if you confront a charismatic with the Scriptures, they say, I believe this, and you confront them with the Word of God on something that is different than what they say, here's what they'll say. Here's what they will tell you. But you don't understand. You weren't there. This is what God told me. This is what happened to me. So what becomes the authority then? They are. Their experience is the authority. Um, I like to use this illustration. I, I have vertigo. You guys know what vertigo is? And so I have inner ear stuff, which is why I don't like being on ladders. Me and Josh Ferry are, are on this with the ladder thing. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like being on ladders because I'll get dizzy. I might fall. And so there are times when I'm laying in my bed and the room is spinning. Now let me ask you, is the room really spinning? How do you know? You weren't there. <laughs> that was not right, was it? That wasn't... <laughs> first time she's felt the Holy Spirit in church right there. It's just <laughs> but honestly, that's where people live. How many of you have discussed things with someone like that? You understand? No, we've got to make sure that, that, that we're clear on this. I know people who believe that way that love God probably more than me. They love the Lord. They love Jesus Christ. They love His Word. We're not saying that these people are lost, right? They just have dueling authorities, their authority is the Word of God and their experience. Then there's a third group. There's a third group. And now, the, the, the primary area of distinction in this discussion of the Holy Spirit, in tradition, those who hold to the Word of God in tradition, they're going to have a different view of the Holy Spirit than we do at Grace Baptist Church. Those who hold to the Word of God in experience, they're going to have a different view of what the Holy Spirit does than we do here at Grace Baptist Church. Um, the third group is those who hold to the Word of God and scholarship. These are people who don't believe that they can hold God's Word in their hands, but that through scholarship they must determine what the Bible is. All right, And you, you discern that by you'll read a text and you'll see a footnote that says, this verse is not found in the best manuscripts. Or a better word would be. 
where they, they, they begin changing the Word of God. So their authority then is not the Word of God. Their authority is the Word of God and scholarship. And if there's ever a conflict between the Word of God and their scholarship, they will change the Word of God. Now, understand, again, these are people that love the Lord as much as we do, uh, maybe more. I'm, I'm not impugning their love for the Lord or His Word. They just have a different authority than we have. Then our group would be the fourth group, and there are many millions of people in the world who believe like we do, and that is that the Bible is our authority. That's it. Uh, uh, God gave me, Jim Alter, God gave me a good mind. I'm not brilliant. I'm not dumb. All right? He gave me a well-functioning mind. Imagine if I thought that my mind was great enough to change God's Word. That's the height of arrogance. Would you all agree with that? And so for us, our authority is simply the Word of God. How many of you remember the Jerry Falwell thing from the 70s? You'd see bumper stickers and buttons. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. How many of you remember that? Well, I like that statement, but I would shorten it. How about this? God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. Amen? And the perfect illustration of that are the laws of nature. I can say I do not believe in gravity. Right? And if I jump off the building, gravity is going to happen, whether I believe it or not. I think about uh, Josh Spicer back there. We have video that we used in one of our things with him on his motorcycle doing really non-intelligent things. All right? So he's flying through the air. Can you imagine if Josh said, you know what? The next time I go up, I reject the laws of gravity. He's still coming down, so he really needs to prepare for that landing. Are you with me? How many of you hope that the pilot that you fly with believes in gravity? I'm just telling you, when we go up, we're going to come down until the rapture, and even then he's going to bring us back. All right? Our authority is the Word of God. That's it. That is it. So when we discuss this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I love you. I care for you. I'm not really that interested in how you feel about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God gave me everything I need to know. What do I care about from you? How has the Holy Spirit worked in your life? I'd love to hear that. That's our testimony. But our testimony is not our authority. Amen? Okay, so here, again, let's get this right. Let's get this to where we... I, I was talking with Jacob about this yesterday. What, it, what are the handles that we're going to take home when we understand what we're talking about here? Here's the way that even Bible believers say it. Let me tell you what this verse means to me. Well, if you had never been born, does it then have no meaning? Do you see our problem? That's the problem with reading the Scriptures devotionally instead of doctrinally. How about we find out what that verse means to God? And then, and then I'll know how it applies to me. We've got to start with God. Amen? Isn't that cool? Getting our thinking around this. All right, now, so let's make sure that we understand this. We're not bigoted against the other religious groups. We have identified what they claim for themselves. Do you all agree with that? Do you all agree with that? Okay, so now, let's go to 1 John 5, 7. Let's learn some things about the Holy Spirit. The reason for the disparate views on the Holy Spirit, it's all based on what authority an individual has. All right, so look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. These three are one. Three that bear record. The Father, the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus Christ. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ. He is, he is just our, our precious Savior, isn't He? So you have God the Father. God the Son, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Pastor, I don't understand that good. I don't understand it either. It's a mystery. 
Colossians chapter, we won't take the time to go there, but Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it makes it very clear. If you want to have peace, if you want to have joy, you need to have full assurance of the understanding of the mystery of God. What is your full assurance? That it's a mystery and I don't understand it. Amen? Why? Because His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, that's how high His thoughts are above mine. How high are the heavens above the earth? It goes on forever. All right? So, the Bible says, if we're going to look at this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we understand, first of all, that the Scriptures identify Him as a part of the Godhead. What is the Godhead? The Bible refers to the Godhead in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. The Bible refers to the Godhead in uh, Romans chapter 1. The Godhead is the scriptural term for the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, why did I say the scriptural term? Because the word Trinity is not found in your Bible. The word Godhead is. Is there a problem with using the word Trinity? Of course not. It's describing the three in one, the Godhead. All right. Now, here's the first thing. Oh, I want to say this. This is so good. I've got a book by a guy named C.I. Schofield. He was a Presbyterian lawyer who uh, was called to preach. And um, some of you here may have a Schofield study Bible. Anyone here have a Schofield study Bible? All right. Um, uh, Carol likes the notes better than the text, but that's Carol back there. Um, Elaine, is that true? That's true, isn't it? I, I think, yeah, look at her. She's, yeah, Carol's sister Elaine is here visiting with us from California. Um, now, otherwise known as Aunt Elaine to the rest of us, you know, because of Pastor Nathan. I'm glad that you're here. But Schofield said this. It was interesting. I've got a book called Plain Papers on the Holy Spirit by Schofield. And he made a really interesting statement. How many of you have heard people talk about a new Pentecost or a second coming of Pentecost? How many of you have heard people mention that? That terminology is used a lot in charismatic circles. He said this. He wrote this in 1899. Writers speak of new Pentecosts without reflecting that they might with equal appropriateness speak of new nativities. How many times did Jesus, was Jesus Christ born and come to the earth? Once. Once. How many times did he die? Once. How many times did the Holy Spirit come down and reveal his power at Pentecost? Once. Once. So these are important things to understand. Was Jesus functioning in the world before Bethlehem? Yes, clearly. Was the Holy Spirit functioning in the world before Pentecost? Absolutely. But something changed in his relationship with the world. Something changed in Christ's relationship with the world at Bethlehem. He took on a body. Something changed in the Holy Spirit's relationship with the world at Pentecost. He was sent by the Son from the Father to indwell men. Something changed. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful thing. So let's look at this doctrine of the Holy Spirit briefly. Number one, number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an emanation, not some kind of an influence or a force or a manifestation. The Holy Spirit is a person. And this is important. How many of you know someone who goes to an apostolic church or is a oneness Pentecostal? How many of you know someone like that? Okay. For them, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit as a distinct person from Jesus Christ or the Father. They believe there's only Jesus, and sometimes He manifests Himself as the Father. Sometimes He manifests Himself as the Holy Spirit. That's not the, what the Bible says. That's not the scriptural uh, understanding of who Jesus is, or, or of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person. The same words implying personality are used of the Holy Spirit in scriptures which are used of other persons. So let's look at the key passages um, where Christ introduces the Holy Spirit to His men. Let's go to John chapter 14. We'll look at John 14 and John 16. Now, as we go to John 14, I want you to try to put yourselves as best you can in the shoes of the disciples. A lot of this stuff that we're going to read is familiar to us, especially here at Grace Baptist, because we, we refer to these two passages, John 14, John 16, often. The, there are, these passages are familiar to us. So what I want you to do, I want you to think about this. I want you to read these passages as if you are the disciples, and you, you don't have any idea what Jesus is talking about with this concept of the Holy Ghost. 
This is something that's, that's new information. All right? So let's read this, John chapter 14, and let's start reading in verse uh, 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. Who was the comforter? The, the, what is the another? It's Him, Jesus. And I will pray the Father that He will give you, uh, that He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. So I want you to think about something. He's telling the disciples that He's going to give them the Holy Spirit, and how long will that Holy Spirit abide with these disciples? Is that until they sin? I guarantee you they're going to sin. They rejected Christ. They ran away from it as crucifixion. That's coming very soon. But the Holy Spirit was still going to be with them. Isn't that a blessing? He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, He sent the Holy Spirit with them after His crucifixion, but I want you to see this. Um, Look at verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth. Now, look at that title, the Spirit of truth. I want you to think about something. Had Pastor Nathan print this off for me if I can find it. Layman Strauss was a pastor in Pennsylvania, Calvary Baptist Church in Bristol, Pennsylvania, and he was a great preacher. Brother Ferry, did you ever get to hear him preach in person, Layman Strauss? I never got to hear him in person, but what an amazing preacher. And he left with us these, these books about the Godhead, an individual book for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in this book on God the Holy Spirit, he, he lists these titles that are given to the Holy Spirit in uh, the Scriptures. One of those titles... Here, Pastor, bring that up here. I'll read it to you from the book. Here are some of the titles. Uh, The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Wisdom and Understanding, the Spirit of the Lord God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of the Living God, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Glory, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Grace and of Supplications, and the Spirit of Christ. Now, uh, let me just tell you something. We could spend at least an entire service on each one of those titles of the Holy Spirit. And I would recommend that you take the time to study that out, to, to think about those titles and to discern them from the Scriptures. Because any time a title for Christ, a title for the Father, a title for the Holy Spirit is given, it's a function that they have performed for us. Really vital for us to understand that. All right, so now let's go back to our text, John chapter 14, and look at verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Do you all see that? Everybody looking at your Bible? He shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. All right, so what's going on? Do you remember what happened in John chapter 14? Look at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And then Thomas, of course, says, I don't know what you're talking about, God. Well, I've been telling you, Thomas. Just listen. Right? Is that what's going on in the text? So Jesus is telling him, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to send you the Spirit of Christ. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You won't be comfortless. What a great passage. Look at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. What is our point in this first point about the Holy Spirit? He's a person. I'll send him. He's going to come. He's going to be the comforter. He's going to guide you into all truth. Is that right? These are characteristics of a person. Um, Oh, I've got so many more illustrations of that that I could give you, but let's go on. Not only is he a person, but he is... A divine person. Um, Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Those disciples who were sent, they were not God. Is that right? So simply being sent doesn't mean that you're God. So we need to discern from the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit is God. Here's why this becomes important. 
you know, you've heard me talk with you about Origen, the guy that corrupted the New Testament. Okay, he lived in the 200s, right, 200 A.D. He didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was God. And so a lot of the corruptions in the, in the new modern versions of the Bible and in the manuscripts that underlie those modern versions, uh, it, it stems from Origen not believing that Jesus was the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, that the Holy Spirit was God. All right? So we have to understand that. So let's establish that the Holy Spirit is God. Get Isaiah chapter 6 and Acts chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 6 and Acts chapter 28. I know that many of you are like me. I just love it when the Bible interprets itself and defines itself. So like I could tell you that the Holy Spirit is the Lord. I could tell you that, but when the Bible says it, that's even better, isn't it? Okay, so look with me at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verse 8. I also heard the voice of the who? The Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see that? Here am I, send me. Verse 9 says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see Ye indeed, but perceive not. All right? Now, go with me to Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 25. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost. See what it says? Well spake the who? The Holy Ghost. By Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. The passage in Isaiah says the Lord said that. The passage in Acts says the Holy Ghost said it. So who is the Holy Ghost? The Lord. Isn't that good? I love it. This is the, the God Himself telling us the Holy Ghost is the Lord. The Holy Ghost is the Lord. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, this discussion of the Trinity, the discussion of the Trinity, is such a vital thing in our day and time because there's so much error. You know, Glenn Beck, um, I know that a lot of People enjoy listening to Glenn Beck. I enjoy listening to Glenn Beck. I, I like his, a lot of his political commentary and his understanding of the history of progressivism in the country and all that. He does a really good job with that. But he's a Mormon. When he talks about God, when he talks about Jesus, he's not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. He believes that Jesus Christ is a lesser deity, that he and, and Satan are brothers, um, all of this. I mean, it's just a different Jesus and a different God they don't believe in the Trinity. I've heard him say, I'm a non-Trinitarian. I don't believe in the Trinity. So I'm not attacking him. I'm telling you what he believes. Let me just step back. I want you to think about something. And when we get to the gift of mercy, some of you will understand this a little bit better. When I say that Glenn Beck is a non-Trinitarian, there, there will be someone in this room that will say, you should not say that. I can't believe you would say something like that. He says he's a non-Trinitarian. I'm just telling you what he believes. Okay? Is that helpful? All right, just a little bit. I just threw a fit for a minute there. I just wanted you to know that. But not only does he not believe in the Trinity, but he promotes other things that are a false doctrine. I was watching his show, and there's this advertisement for this book called The Great Controversy by E.G. White. Now, they use E.G. White so that you don't know that it's Ellen White, who was a woman preacher who founded the Seventh-day Adventist movement. The Seventh-day Adventist movement is wholly and completely legalistic. You must live by the law of the Old Testament. That's why they worship on Saturday and not Sunday. And you've got to keep these laws, whether they're dietary laws or dress laws, you must keep those laws. Look, that's wickedness, man. 
That is wickedness. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13. I am redeemed from that law. I am not under that law. Amen? All right, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Is that right? He's the Lord. He is, a, he is deity. All right, so what, is the, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, in the Old Testament, we understand that He was involved in creation. We're not going to look up Scripture for all of these. We're going to list them. But I want to see the significant. I want you to see the significance of the Holy Ghost just in His placement in the Scriptures. So get Genesis 1 and Revelation 22. Remember the old preacher said he believed the, God from cover, he believed the Bible from cover to cover, from generations to revolutions. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. See the Holy Spirit right there at the beginning of the Bible. You see that? Look at Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent, mine, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So who is calling? Who's calling? Jesus is calling. The Holy Spirit is calling. And the church is calling. Come, taste of the water of life. Come, get saved. Amen? But look, the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the Bible, the Holy Spirit at the end of the Bible. You can't get away from Him. You can't get away from the Holy Spirit of God. The other thing, and Brother Clayton mentioned this to us yesterday, that's really important. Notice we keep saying Him. Him. There's a movement in evangelicalism to remove the masculine pronouns from the Bible to a, general, gen, uh, a gender neutral stance. Now, how many of you have met someone who's gender neutral? You can't tell whether they're a man or a woman. Right? That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible presents God as He, Him, and Jesus Christ became a man. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. When the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit, it says, He, Him, masculine, the Holy Spirit of God. Why is that? Because that's what God wanted to do. Do we need any more reason than that? No. Don't let anyone, don't let people get away with this referring to God as it. He's not a tree. He's a person. He's a person. You say the Bible calls Jesus this holy thing. What is that talking about? The body that God gave Jesus. That was a significant, the fact that God became man, that a thing that you could handle and touch, that's the significance of that passage. But the only reason the body was important was because it was the body of the Son of God. Amen? Okay, now. All right. So, Jesus was involved, or the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Um, in the book of Job, Job 26.13 says, By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens, his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Then, what else did he do? The Holy Spirit strove with sinful man. Now, I want you to see what happens in the world and what the Holy Spirit does. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Now, remember what has happened. Man has fallen... They're now being ruled by their conscience. God has given them commands and they have failed. Genesis chapter 6. And look what the Bible says in verse 3. And the Lord said, 
My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. So he's talking about the man and how long man's going to live at that period of time. And so what does he say? His spirit is not always going to strive with man. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is in conflict with man because of his sin, because of man's sin. Do you all recognize that? God hates sin. And the Holy Spirit of God is in the world resisting the people that are sinners. You recognize that? Go to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. You young people, man, you got to get this. I want you to watch this. Have you ever heard someone say this? Why does life have to be so hard? You've heard someone say that. Life is hard. Life is hard. Why is life hard? Proverbs chapter 13. Look at verse 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. The way of transgressors is hard. What does the Bible say in 1 John? Sin is any transgression of the law. That's what sin is. So the Bible says that sinning makes your way hard. Now, how many of you want your life to be smooth? How about you obey God? Because if you disobey God, if you live a life of sin, a life of rebellion, a life that goes against the Holy Spirit, it is going to be hard. I grew up in the furniture shop. My dad was a church planter, but he did furniture repair. That's how he paid the bills. And so my brother and I, we grew up, literally grew up in the shop working with wood. And so at that time, how many of you remember antiquing? You remember that. Now, those of you who are young, you don't have any idea what we're talking about. They would take a nice, a beautiful piece of oak or cherry furniture. Beautiful. And they would paint it with a certain color. And then they'd put another color over the top of it and kind of streak it to make it look old. And most of the time, it was either blue or green. Right? So then, after having done that to their furniture, people would come to their senses and say, why did I cover up this beautiful furniture? And they'd bring it to my dad to refinish it. And so my job was to take these chemicals, these things that probably shortened my life because my father hates me, and I would put this on the furniture and I would scrape it off. And if you get it on your hands, it would burn because it is real acidic. And how many of you ever used furniture remover? All right. The stuff you use now is nothing like the satanic stuff that I had to use. Okay. And so I would strip the furniture, and then that color would get down into the wood. So I'd have to sand the furniture until all the color was gone, and it was at the natural wood. Now, let me tell you what's easy. If you really want to get the color off, you, you know what wood grain looks like. It goes one way. If you want to get remove wood quickly, sand this way. And it really goes away fast. The only problem is you leave all kinds of lines in the wood. And you know what I learned? The color went away really fast when I did this, but this is what my dad taught me. For every one stroke, you take this way. It takes a hundred this way to remove it. What I thought was easier by doing it my own way made me so much more work. Now, here's the blessing. I have these guns now because of it. Now listen, it's so important that it's so important that you people understand, especially the young people. How many of you adults would testify? You'd be willing to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. That you transgressed somewhere along the way and found out that it made your life hard. Would you raise your hand? Okay, now hold them up so these kids can see. All you young people, look around. These folks can testify. You go against the Holy Spirit of God and He will strive against you. Or, do you know what the word comforter means? 
the one that comes alongside to help. What would you rather have? Him striving with you or coming alongside to help you? Uh, We're not going to take the time to go there, but I love the passage in Romans chapter 8. I think it's verse 15 where it says, the Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities. He helps us. He helps us. Or he'll strive. But notice what the text says in Genesis. He won't always strive. Then what happened? God killed everybody in the flood. Holy Spirit got tired of those people. Why? Because their thoughts were only evil continually. Holy Spirit got tired of messing with those people. He killed them all. How many of you have never heard it put that way? That's what happened. My spirit will not always strive with men. I'm giving you 120 years to live now. Noah's going to preach to you. Noah's going to preach to you. You can receive me. You can receive me. I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. You can listen to the preaching or you can die. That's a different Holy Spirit than is presented to the world today. Can I tell you something? Do you know what's still true? God's spirit will not always strive with men. There's coming a day when it's going to be over. It's going to be done. How about we walk with Him instead of against Him? So what did the Holy Spirit do in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit was active in creation. The Holy Spirit would strive with men. The Holy Spirit would give skill in work. I like this. Let's let's look at it. Exodus chapter uh, 31. How many of you can see there's no way to preach about the Holy Spirit in one sermon? We're almost done. Exodus chapter 31. Look at verse 2. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge. Now look. And in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. Is that cool? I think that's so cool. I walked into my shop, my dad's shop one day. I was in college and I walked into my dad's shop and I said, what are you doing? And he was caning a chair. How many of you know what that means, to cane a chair? That's not easy to do to do it right and have it hold somebody up for a length of time. Uh, what, what that is, caning a chair, when you look at a, uh, like a kitchen chair and it has the webbing in the seat, all right, they don't make chairs like that a lot anymore, but it's like a basket weave in the seat and you would sit on it. And so I walked in and I asked Dad, I said, when did you learn to do that? He said, I didn't. My father has the ability to just look at something and do it. It's unbelievable. Uh, He wanted to build a shop onto the house for his furniture business. And so he just decided to build it himself. Now, Dad never worked as a contractor. He never did any of that. He's a preacher, singer, musician, artist. That's my dad. And uh, so what did he do? There was somebody building a house down the road. And so he went down for an afternoon, a couple hours, and watched this guy lay block. Watched him mix it, watched him lay the block, and went back and built his garage. What is that? That is God gave him the ability to look at something and do it. Right? It's God that does that. How many of you know someone that's like that? They're, they're just able to look at things and they understand what's wrong. Um, you, you know, one of the problems with our society is we don't call those people smart. Right? Because a guy can't pass a test in a particular subject, he's considered less of a person than that person that God has gifted mechanically. That does not make sense to me. That's completely wrong. Amen? All right. So anyway, um, that is what God does. God did that specifically for this man in the Old Testament, gave him specific God, Spirit of God ability to work with gold for the temple. All right. Then he gives physical strength. You remember Samson. That strength came from the Holy Spirit. Um, One of the saddest verses in the Bible was where Delilah had cut his hair. Watch out for these girls, guys. I'm telling you, they'll destroy you. This, This girl, Delilah, cut his hair. And one of the saddest verses says, And he wist not that the Lord had left him. Oh, man. When he lifted up the gates of that city and carried them up 
a mountain, thousands of pounds, when he would kill thousands of people in a battle with his own hands, that was not his own personal strength. That was the strength of God. The Holy Spirit would give strength in the Old Testament. Then after Pentecost, what did the Holy Spirit do? Let's go back to John. Go to John 16. Now let's just read a portion of this chapter. We won't need to make a lot of comments on it. This will tell us what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Um, look at what it says in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. I looked up that word reprove and reproof. Do you know what that means? It's to... It is blame expressed to the face. So it's not this. Nick did whatever. Okay? I was going to say he beat his wife, but she can take him. So... Okay, that's that Nick, that's not reproof. That's gossip. Reproof is you did it. Remember Nathan with David? Put his finger in his face. Thou art the man. That's reproof. That's what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. You understand the the wickedness that's in the world. Most of the the entertainment stars, most of the musicians they end up living miserable lives. Why? Because they're wicked. And the Holy Spirit will not allow that to go on without reproving them, without bringing it to their face. How many of you ever did something? And, and it's striking because it was, most of the time it's when you're a child and you did something that you knew was wrong and the guilt was just all over you. How many of you remember that? You remember that? What is that? That's reproof. Reproof, all right? <laughs> That's one of the, the Proverbs, because ye would not my reproof. Remember? I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock at your destruction. That's what wisdom says in the book of Proverbs. Because ye would none of my reproof. I, I confronted you to the face and you wouldn't listen. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is confronting you to your face with something in your life right now be good to listen, wouldn't it? All right, let's look at what else he's going to do. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. Reprove the world of sin. How do you reprove of righteousness? It's this. You don't have it. You're not righteous. What does the Bible say? There's none righteous. No, not one. Right? That's reproving the world of righteousness and of judgment. You're going to be judged. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so when you preach this to someone, do you know what happens? The Holy Spirit of God... Is knocking on their heart. This is true. This is true. Listen, listen. This is true. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Of sin, verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. What is the sin that sends people to hell? Unbelief. That's the sin. All right? Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. What's the significance of that? The only time righteousness has ever been in the world is when Jesus walked the earth. When Jesus left, there was no way you could tell it was righteous anymore. That's why the Holy Spirit came. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. All right? Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Not will be. He is. How is the prince of the world judged? Jesus beat him. Jesus beat him. I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come. Now, does it say when she? What's it say? When he. Does it say when it? No, no, no. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. God the Father is going to, to ordain what God the Son speaks to God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will show it to these men, and they wrote it down in the Scriptures. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit does all of those things, and I wish we had time to go through each and every one of them. The Holy Spirit also empowers, and the Bible says in uh, Luke that he's going to, it says, Terry, to be endued with power from on high, Luke 24. And then Acts chapter 1, he continues Luke writing by the Holy Spirit writing, and he continues that, and he says this. He says, but ye shall be witnesses of me. When? After the power comes upon you from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does He do? The Holy Spirit empowers you to serve Him. The Holy Spirit empowers you to witness for Him. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live a holy and a godly life. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do what He wants you to do. Isn't that wonderful? Then the Holy Spirit baptizes. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, Jesus said, John indeed baptized you with water, but the Holy Ghost will baptize you. The Holy Ghost is going to baptize you in the Spirit. And we understand what happened there in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. What body? The body of Christ, Jesus Christ. When a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes them into Jesus Christ. And once you're in Christ, you cannot get out. What does the Bible say? Is Christ divided? No. Nope. Once you're in, you can't be divided out. Isn't that wonderful? That's that eternal security. So the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit baptizes, but then the Holy Spirit seals. Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says, for the, which, the Bible says um, that you should be to the praise of His glory, in verse 12, who first trusted in Christ, after that you heard the gospel of peace, and after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, with promise which is the earnest of the purchased possession until the, uh, is the earnest until the redemption of the purchased possession. Jesus Christ seals you until He comes back in the rapture. When you get saved, Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit seal you up. Now, I've often wondered whether it's sealing, like hermetically sealing something, or if it's a stamp. Bam! He's mine. I think it's a little bit of both. Why? Because we are placed in Christ and then we're marked as His. That's wonderful. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament empowers the Holy Spirit, uh, baptizes the Holy Spirit, indwells. What? Know you not that you're the temple of God? That the Holy Spirit is in you? And if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit baptizes. The Holy Spirit seals and the Holy Spirit indwells. You have... Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in you right now if you're saved. If you're saved. And then the Holy Spirit gifts. He gives you fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. He gives you all of these things. So He gives you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But then He also gives you gifts for service. He gives you gifts for service. That's what we're going to be studying. But you know what? You don't get those gifts until you're saved. You know that Holy Spirit that won't always strive with man? There's going to come a time when you can't receive Him. It's over. It's over. It would be better if you had Him come and dwell within you and come alongside you and guide you and help you. Amen? And then, you know what will happen? He'll gift you for service, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word.